0: Welcome back to the Cineposium Podcast,
1: where each week, members or collaborators of Cineposium curate films for remote viewing, and then talk about those films on this podcast. In this week's episode, Mike Mazikane and Alex Epicella discuss Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. Enjoy the conversation.
0: Ah. (laughs) Hello, soldier.
1: Before we begin, a general content warning. Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning is an extremely violent and brutal film that features violence against women, sex workers, and children. It is literally hard to watch at points. It was originally rated NC-17 by the MPAA and cut down to an R for, quote, brutal bloody violence throughout, strong sexual content, graphic nudity, and language. It also features two scenes of extended strobe light effects that are physically uncomfortable to watch and potentially harmful to photosensitive individuals. The cut I will be working off of is the NC-17 slash unrated version of the film, which is roughly 30 seconds longer due to slightly extended sequences of wounding and framing. As far as I can tell, the R-rated version is what is only available for purchase digitally. Other than seeing Andre Arlovsky's head being blown off like a t-ball when it meets a baseball bat, there isn't a high degree of difference between the two cuts. Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, the second film in the franchise directed by John Himes, wasn't supposed to be this way. So good, that is, as a host of contemporary and retrospective criticism attests. See our Twitter account at c for links. The marketing sold the film as a simple direct-to-video revenge feature with a star-driven twist. The film's posters plasters the hard bodies of yesteryear, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren at the top with hilariously photoshopped weapons looming over nebulous explosions. The next-generation video star and film lead Scott Atkins is given a cool but obscuring silhouette. Come see these men fight. See them kill it beckons. What looked like a dumb action flick turns out to be a surreal neo-noir that is closer to something by Michael Haneke or Nicholas Windenraffen, Roland Emmerich's debut film, or Haim's previous entry. Even in the low commercial space of direct-to-video, Day of Reckoning is obstinate in meeting commercial or audience expectations. Gone are the absurd cybernetic suits Cold War morality and narrative simplicity wrote heterosexuality and secure hard bodies, and instead it delivers an assault on the senses. Always daring you to take pleasure as it stylistically and unceremoniously smashes heads, chops limbs, and punctures bodies. Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning pushes the latent fascism of hard-bodied masculinity to its logical, debauched conclusion. Reckoning pushes theories of masculinity and fascism past the breaking point by twisting the iconography onto itself in a critique of the structures and stars that create hard men. Structurally, it severs the narrative connection between the state and male subject that is typically remade and purified in the process of fighting for it in fascist cinema. This anti-authority edge isn't the winking ironic fascism of Fight Club, but Deadpanned Excess. Franchise stars Van Dam and Lundgren appear as phantasmic versions of themselves, obscured in face paint spouting catchphrases and whispered wisdom in the few moments they are on screen, fitting depictions for actors who have haunted the minds of their fellow man in the film and without. Reckoning pushes the film aphorism that men do not speak but act over the edge. Men in this film rarely talk. All they know how to do is fight and kill a point made clear when a fight spontaneously breaks out in Luke Devereaux's Unisoul compound for no other reason than to reflect an enraptured audience back on itself. Scott Adkins' John grows progressively nonverbal as the film goes on, culminating in a near 10-minute montage of screaming, grunting, and destruction. Himes delivers a twist on the sadomasochistic scenario theorized by David Savarin. The inability to achieve resolution only sequels since the battle with the self by definition can never be resolved. In Universal Soldier Regeneration, Himes first entry in the franchise, that inability is realized as tragedy. Now it's a comedy because what else can you call a movie that is so ludicrous, consciously stylistic, anti-IP and commercial, a 114-minute montage of violence and still feel good about yourself. It couldn't possibly have a point.
0: My brothers, let's not forget the moment of sickness. Our thoughts interrupted by unfamiliar voices. We were merely arms and legs, moving to the directive of another line in an instant, the veil lifted. But today,
1: brothers, I stand here and declare: your minds are now your own.
0: Yeah. So, Universal Soldier: Day of Reckoning. <laughs> I, I, I hate the name of the film. First of all, I think I think it's terrible. <laughs> I, I,
1: yeah, it's it's okay. It's the same t- subtitle as a. Sp- a sub-franchise in WWE video games that were released for the GameCube, it's not very good. <laughs> but, like, the terrible name's kind of, to me, part of the charm. Is like, have you yeah. seen the other titles for Universal Soldier movies?
0: Well, I mean, not just like Universal Soldier films, but I think films of this nature, just in general, always have these kinds of titles. Like, I kind of think of like Day of Reckoning, and I'm like, Judgment Day, Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, kind of yeah. thing going on. <laughs>
1: and like, what is really being reckoned with except for the unknowability well, of the self,
0: maybe? I'm not. I'm not really sure. It's 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 quite interesting. Um, I had I'd seen this film like once before, a really long time ago. I think probably like close to like when it had come out. Um, because like I was big into like finding video on demand films that i shouldn't have been watching at that time i think it was probably i was probably in middle school honestly um yeah just to you know throw my age out there i am a baby (laughs) i can see i can see the the... that
1: that makes me this movie came out in 2012 (laughs) yes i graduated from high school in 09 oh god that just makes me feel old
0: I was I was sixteen <laughs>
1: when okay, it came out. Okay, that's not as bad. Like you, you were in high school.
0: Yeah, I think it was probably like freshman year of high school or like last year of middle school. I'm not. I'm not really sure which. I I had seen it like back then, but I think that this is a film that was like better consumed now. Just because, like, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't like enjoy it when I had first watched it. I didn't think that it was like all that groundbreaking of like a film from like a technical standpoint or like a um i don't know like i i feel like now watching it 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 seems like a more revolutionary piece just from like a a pure cinematography standpoint like I, i i've seen funny games that introduction scene like the first scene where they like pull um uh Scott Atkins, you know, out of the house and like the guys, and they execute the family like that. That looks like a scene out of Funny Games, and it's like I'm able to to kind of, I guess, make these connections now to see, you know, that this is essentially this is this is like an art house, if we if if we can call it art house, this is this is like an art house action film, <laughs> essentially. Like it, the cinematography is really impressive throughout.
1: Yeah, like it's it's a it's a strange amalgamation of like fun and games, and apocalypse now but but heart of darkness really it just yeah it it's a like this movie shouldn't be as good as it is we should not be talking about it on our prestigious podcast
0: (laughs) well i mean it's 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 like i feel like It really is like the cinematography for me that does it because I'm not like thrilled with like the plot. I mean, like this is like, you know, the standard plot for every every film of its nature. You know, like, you know, your main masculine hero, his family dies or his friend dies and then you need to, to avenge them. And it's never just one dude. It's always like the guy's got like a mini army that you have to like fight through to like prove yourself. But it's like I feel like this is really... Yeah, like, I mean, you had said in your intro, it, it's very self-aware in, like, a non-ironic fashion. Like, you watch this and it's it's very, like, it knows what it's doing when it casts John uh, claude Van Damme. And it knows what it's doing when it casts Dolph Lundgren. And it's very interesting, I guess, to see the, the commentary that it's doing, um, where it, like, kind of talks about John as being this character who is so effective at killing people because they realized that um in order to become like the greatest soldier of all time or whatever like you need to have like a you need to have personal loss there needs to be an element of like yourself that is lost in this versus like just fighting for like the patriotism which was what basically every single like Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren film was wanted to come out, you know, and you got your Arnold Schwarzenegger's and all those films back in the 80s that were all just like hyper hi- hyper nationalist, you know, hero films, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 clever. It's clever.
1: I just realized this movie's basically a condensed version of Metal Gear Solid.
0: <laughs> but
1: with like out any of the comedy
0: (laughs) yeah it's like like i was um because like i was watching this and i was thinking i was was rewatching that intro scene i remember the comment that you had made earlier in the discord about um alien uh, about predator being the meathead alien and i was like this is this is the meathead funny games like it's got like the same purpose where it's like it's using like the this um ultraviolence as almost like a um a commentary against um fascist past almost or fascist present fascist future i don't know it's 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 interesting because like there is definitely like this this fascist um commentary to it but i i feel like i have to watch this movie like six more times (laughs) like there's like a lot going on like underneath the surface and i feel like i missed like too much of it and it's like that's unfortunate because um like I, I couldn't figure out wh- where I wanted to pay attention to. I couldn't figure out if I wanted to pay attention to the storyline, like the underlying commentary that was going on here, or if I wanted to pay attention to just like the spectacular, um, the spectacular visuals and like the choreography and like because that that was it's very impressive. Like this is this is like if if I wanted to see a cable film. Like, like when I imagine like Cable and Deadpool prior to the creation of the Deadpool films, like this is what I would want a Cable film to look like. This is like I would even even hell, I would even cast Dolph Lundgren as Cable. It's like it's like this would be like the kind of, of of stylistic yet realistic action violence that you would need to be able to carry a a really like heavy film you know of superheroes or super anti-heroes or super bad guys honestly like if you want to watch a cable movie go watch the
1: first two the two sicario movies because like he like um oh, oh i'm blinking on his name thanos josh brolin he isn't playing cable but like he is that sort of hard man Like, Sicario 2 kind of grows a heart in a way that I don't quite buy, but like, if you want that, like, go watch Sicario 1 and 2, especially the second one, because that one is just very, just kind of very deadpan, like, no, these are hard men who just know how to kill, and they will kill very well, and you're not going to, like, take visual pleasure from it, because they just like, oh, we shoot them in the head. Like, it, like, I would recommend that. Have you seen Universal Soldier Regeneration by chance?
0: I have not, or if I have, it was like uh, so. It's like when, when I went to and I I just rewatched Day of Reckoning. I didn't um go back and rewatch like the full set of, oof, uh, six films total. Right, this is the sixth one. I, I didn't I didn't go back and I didn't rewatch the other five. But I think that I should and I probably will end up doing so just because, um, yeah, I feel like it it deserves that attention, so. <laughs> I would not recommend doing
1: that. <laughs> like, just like like okay, one, like the Universal Soldier in this in this era we are currently in of like well-managed IP, the Universal Soldier film franchise is the opposite of that. Like it makes the X-Men film franchise look well managed. I love it. <laughs> because like it you have the first film, then you have a series of made-for-TV movies on Showtime. Then you have the return that brings back Dolph Lundgren, or bring yeah brings back John Claude Van Damme, and then you have like two more movies that don't do anything, and then you have regeneration that brings back um, Lo- uh, Van Damme and Lundgren. It's the first John Heims movie, and his dad's on cinematography. It's a like it's a really kind of standard um, action movie. It's straightforward terrorists take over a Chernobyl sell bad stuff but the last 30 minutes are amazing it's just basically silent i'm going we're going to do an action sequence it's great but like other than regeneration going clones like its connection to this movie and the larger franchise there there is none like there's other than like the presence of van damme and lundgren playing like clone like bad copy versions of themselves of their characters of luke devereux and andrew scott like it there's nothing about this movie that is inherently universal soldiers and so yeah um yeah but it is like you you do you do keep mentioning um yaron levy's cinematography which is just the first person perspective use in this movie is really great and also why the darn strobe effects are so annoying
0: oh yeah i i I literally i because like i because i'd seen this forever ago i would i remembered the strobe effects i remember the strobe effects because when i had seen this film for the first time i know for a fact that i had watched it um on a laptop at like three in the morning with like no other lights on in the room (laughs) (laughs) And so like I very much I very much remember having my eyes blasted out of my head the first time I watched it and the second time I watched it I remember that there were strobe effects in it I didn't remember the extent of the strobing. Um, but I'm you know older now and I have old eyes and I need lights on even when I watch a movie that's like very dark um, but like having the lights on in the room didn't matter <laughs> it was, it's just it's so excessive that it's like almost impressive that like it wasn't edited down as I feel like a lot of like extensive strobing effects in films or television just in general are usually like way edited down just because of like that that common um, epilepsy warning and then I mean even like video games will have like that ep- uh, epilepsy warning and stuff and so it, it, it's unusual to see a strobing sequence that goes for like two to three minutes and you're like and it's like violent strobing too it's like really fast and it's like white light and you're like oh god please stop <laughs> it's like I get it I'm hypnotized I promise <laughs>
1: yeah no like like the violence that's brutal and hard to look at or i don't know you probably just like ah it's a tuesday a man's head got blown off like a t-ball that's okay but like the, the strobe effects are legitimately like i can't watch them i have to look away and close my eyes and listen to audio cues <laughs> yeah ugh. yeah that's
0: that's that's like something that i was like thinking a lot about too where it was like um I'm, I'm trying to be for for my own purposes of my research a little bit more reflective of what i find to be um watchable and what i find to be unwatchable in films especially ones that are ultra violent and um one of the the kills that happens fairly early on in the film um where they go into the the strip club or um the brothel i'm not i'm not quite sure if it's both or just one i i feel like i have no sense of place in this film <laughs> what is
1: it <laughs> and that like that's kind of part of the effect of the movie like there is like there is like a brothel and a strip club like i think this takes place in like louisiana
0: oh you know, I've never guessed
1: it looks it looks like a it looks florida sweaty to me is all i got
0: yeah, I mean, that like,
1: sort think... of like lack of spatial awareness kind of reinforces the overall dreamlike quality of the movie and the whole idea that you are without past
0: and Absolutely. what is
1: really going on. Because, like, the plot of this movie is at once very simple Scott Adkins wants to go and kill Jean Claude Van Damme for killing his family, or so he thinks, and also makes no sense. And it's a <laughs> yeah. mood piece on just like watch these people kill
0: yeah it really is like on on like some next level aesthetic and i i think that that's probably where i find it to be super interesting because i i mean like the comparison to funny games is i think like a a a very apt one when we're talking about cinematography but when we're talking about like the actual uh contents of the film in terms of like how the violence is employed um for the sake of of commentary or storytelling it, it really it really um moves away from from funny games which is is intended to be like this uh commentary of like uh violence and media it, it's really different um and I, I feel like I was more like the thing that was unwatchable to me was the strobe lights I couldn't watch the strobe lights but the way that the violence was done in the film was like the exact opposite like I could watch like is six thousand movies <laughs> that look like that, and I would be impressed every single time. And the the scene um, where they they kind of like destroy the brothel. Um, there's like one corpse in particular that's like kind of half behind a bed, and it's looking terrible. And I don't know if they like crushed his head or what what, what happened there. Um, that one was like a really interesting practical effect that like it really reminded me of like um, like gosh like the really early like David Cronenberg films. Um, and I actually, I paused um, on that part to like look at that frame more because I wanted to know um, whether or not they were using like a, um, a, a sculpted dummy or if they were like, if this was prosthetics work, like what, like how, how they were employing some of these violent effects and pulling them off on camera without the camera having to, to cut away from the effect and then back into it. Because um, uh, that was that's like very impressive to me is always to see special effects work that's done um in real time, where they're not editing around it, right? Where everything is on camera and they want to show you every second of the violence. That's always, ooh, especially the chore like oh the choreography in the fight scenes, fantastic.
1: Yeah, like that's kind of this the charm of this movie is like I once like I. I feel terrible because like, I, I've been really thinking about my relationship to violence <laughs> this past year for all the reasons that have all the things that have gone on and like this movie like John, like everyone's like yeah, John Wick's awesome and John Wick is awesome, but like the there's a sleek Miami vice sort of cool to the violence in John Wick that like, oh, here's some blood spurts where like this feels like it has like actual heft mostly because they probably didn't have the money to do digital effects but had the money to do really good sound editing and scott adkins knows how to do choreography real well we're like that like to me like the movie is basically a crescendo constantly of like the violence keeps getting upped and it is only until um he goes crazy at the end in the cut in the tunnels well i, I should rephrase that because crazy is not a very nice word martin cut that out um, where he basically loses control after they try to pull out his fit his false memories and you go on that 10 minute montage in the tunnels like that's when the violence goes from that's awesome to oh that's awesome and it's because it, like the to me the fight with arlovsky in the sporting goods store where Ooh, they just yes. start fighting with bats and then arlovsky's gets like his legs broken and his arm broken and he's still coming and then he just his head gets blown off like it's a t-ball like i sent you the uh, do you have the r-rated cut or the unrated cut
0: oh uh, i had i had the unrated cut that i was able to obtain <laughs> it's fantastic
1: yeah like just like yeah let me i want to see arlovsky's head just get blown off and like probably the only digital effect of the movie well there's with how digital effects work there's probably a lot more but like of the like very obvious ones but like even that like it ends in such a brutal fashion and it just cuts to um maria boner as or bonner as sarah and the other people just staring at him like what just happened and kind of not like just shock and like it like there's a lot of reflexive like looking at the audience in this movie that i really kind of like because it's just basically begging you like do you like this do you still like this and just like i I really dig that about it
0: yeah and i i think i like the the comparison to to john wick a lot because i think that um something that i absolutely love john wick fantastic film but the huge difference between john wick violence and um, and Universal Soldier Day Reckoning violence and then violence that you see in your standard action film if you were to pick up say I don't know like the Terminator or something um, the, the weaponry That's, that's what I think makes it different to me is that so john wick can go around and he can down, you know, 30 people in a bar with a gun, right. Um, Occasionally he's punching, but most of the time the weapon is a gun which is like inherently like this this dispersonal kind of weapon right John Wick, you know, is usually not picking up a baseball bat and and if he is, it's not it's never the main weapon that he's fighting with. It's always like I'll pick up another weapon to use in, in improvisation for the purposes of until I can grab my gun right? It's always like, until I can grab the gun. And in this film, it is never until I can grab the gun. <laughs> like, like like the gun is never even like a consideration. It's like, um, it gets used, like the first time I kind of like noticed it really being used was was actually in that tunnel sequence where where John um, has just completely lost himself, right? Because he grabs like the high caliber um, assault rifle. And that's how a lot of the kills were being done. And it felt so disconnected from from the rest of the film where like you're seeing shotguns, um, which are you know always like basically single fire or pump action and they take too long, so they they like will shoot one one round and then like throw the shotgun away and start punching. And it's like it's 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 a very different mode of of violence that I think really makes it look and feel more like a horror film, is horror films are kind of predicated on like this idea of we're not using guns, they're not cinematic enough for violence purposes. Um, so we're going to use improvised weaponry, right? And so that's, that's really what this is doing. And I think it's doing it really effectively.
1: Yeah, that, that whole sequence, it, that, it begins though with him grabbing a, just a random hammer because like they use a, a I, I, I'm not a handy person, but I, that, the drill that they use to burr into his skull, like that's at Home Depot. <laughs> but like it starts with him just grabbing a random hammer and then just smashing someone's head in off screen, and then stomping on it a bit off screen, and then going on that rampage. Um, another thing about that um, sequ- that that hall, sequ- that tunnel sequence, is it uses a lot of the same basic cinematic effects, the, the speed ramping in particular that are that is associated with Zack Snyder's movies, and in particular, three hundred. Uh, it basically. The first main battle once they get to Thermopylae in 300 that has that scene of, it's the slow-mo scene of, I think it's Leonidas does the little swingy bit with the um, spear and it cuts a guy's neck open and then he stabs someone else with it and then he pulls it out and goes back and javelins it through some other guy. And it's all slow motion and it's just like beautiful and violent, but highly stylized and safe in a lot of ways because like that movie to me, like 300 to me is this ironic use of like how narrative creates fascist propaganda. And in the tunnel sequence, Himes and um, Levy are taking those, all those formal characteristics and going, no, we're, there's nothing, we're not doing irony here. We are just going to use those same formal characteristics because like 300 was like one of the biggest action movies of the early 2000s. And just, twisting it of going no it's really brutal and like scary and also honestly just due to the staging not that far off from like star wars dark forces like that um amv af amv fmv game that's like this hallway shooter it's it's oh it's it's a choice that's a weird connection to make but that's just what came up to me you haven't seen the first Universal Soldier movie, right?
0: Uh, correct. I don't think I
1: have. <laughs> okay, so then, I, I'm, I'm curious. What do you know about John Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren in those movies?
0: I honestly, I I don't know much about John Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren inside of the Universal Soldier franchise. Um, they've always been actors that like I've encountered in you know their own films right where they're the star of their own films and aren't usually um I will again like I haven't even seen um and this is this is going to be you know <laughs> terrible I haven't even seen the Expendables right I haven't I haven't seen either of those um so I'm like these are actors that I'm not used to seeing um sharing you know essentially sharing credits right like that's that's like not a thing in my head like when I think of these guys like they they are the solos um I think time cop <laughs> would have been like my first um my, my first um john claude van damme film um and then for for dolph Lundgren, um i think maybe like a view to kill right but like that was, like, he's really small in that um the punisher the, you know eighty uh, nine punisher with um um wow i can't remember his name I don't know, but Dolph, Dolph, Dolph Legren plays the Punisher in that, um, so that, that's kind of like where I think of them as being in my head, and it's always weird to see them older, because I'm like, oh, they've actually aged 30 years. <laughs> what a coincidence.
1: Well, one, Alex, as our resident gamer, I'm, I'm kind of just let down you didn't say Street Fighter the movie for your 1st John Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs>
0: I, I fortunately had seen uh, I'd seen I'd seen Street Fighter much later than Time Cop. <laughs> but like
1: because like what what was your read then on Dolph Lundgren's random appearance then in this movie? Because like if you don't know like him like one that his character is like a mentally damaged unhealthy clone which was like developed in the last film that we're just supposed to kind of assume, like he's just there being like weird Dolph Lundgren and shows up at the end dressed up in face paint and going like, that's the spirit soldier, which was like his ironic, well, not like somewhat ironic catchphrase from the first movie, but like now he's this just this, Phantasmic vision and cartoon of himself and it's just really kind of like at once sad but also this dark commentary on how like direct-to-video b action movies have like raised a generation of men helped raise a generation of men they're like the not the defined thing was like man i watched a bunch of these movies and i'm mostly okay i think i wouldn't know if i was though hmm but, like, like I'm, I'm curious about, like, what you thought about, like, his presence in particular, and also, like, Van Damme's, because, like, he's just gone the full Colonel, Colonel Kurtz in the face paint. It's, like, choices were made in a lot of ways. Like, the way this movie treats the star images of Van Damme and Lundgren is kind of amazing, where they just go, no, they're essentially parodies of themselves. And it's just this dark, like, this is all they can do sort of thing I'm I'm just curious
0: yeah I think I think that, that's a good question to ask is like so so part of it is uh first of all I didn't question anything about this movie <laughs> like, like I am I am not a good judge of whether or not this movie is like one because I mean like it is like the sixth in the franchise I am not one to judge whether or not this movie is like one that you can just go into without having watched any of the others in the franchise I just didn't question anything (laughs) I asked asked zero questions I was like okay we're just doing this and I'm just going and like (laughs) that's happening (laughs) and like I actually I didn't even recognize like (laughs) I didn't recognize Jean-Claude Van Damme with all that face paint on. I was like, who is this actor? Where is Jean-Claude Van Damme? I was told that he was in this. I had no idea that was him. I, like, actually had, like, started off the film. I, I didn't I didn't realize that uh, Scott Adkins was, was the lead in this film. And my brain, still thinking that the year is 1985, um, <laughs> recognized that he looks a little bit like Jean-Claude Van Damme. And I'm like, <laughs> maybe... I'm like maybe Scott Adkins is John Claude Van Damme, and I just don't remember what this guy looks like. And then I'm like, wait, a minute, this is 2011. There's no way. But that's also like a perfect
1: approximation because, like, Scott Adkins is the new John Claude Van Damme. He, he is direct to video star. Like seriously, like if you, like one, I think Adkins gives a really good performance in this movie.
0: He does absolutely.
1: And like particular the scene where he meets himself and his clone self is speaking in his british accent <laughs> and then himself is like his weird american non-accent keeps slipping <laughs> when he's talking with himself like that whole scene is just kind of great but like also um if you want more good scott adkins movies i think avengement is still on netflix uh, he does some real um transformative body work in that movie You know, it's weird to think of like Adkins as this very transformational actor, but he really does in this movie that is essentially all stuck in a bar and told it through brutal flashbacks in prison, it's great. It's maybe got a little too much like sincerity and heart to it to be as hard as it wants to be, but it's it's a legitimately good Adkins movie.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed him. I, I don't think that I've seen Scott Adkins as like a significant um, actor in anything until this film um and since I mean like I've seen um <laughs> the accursed um to bring Deadpool back into it X-Men Origins Wolverine where he he is the stunt double for for Ryan Reynolds I've seen I've seen that um but of course I didn't see him right because he's got so much um prosthetics work on to look like um whatever they thought Deadpool looked like <laughs> which is for some reason not at all what Deadpool looked like but that's you know another issue there not getting into that um <laughs> I'd seen him, I think, in Zero Dark Thirty as well, but I had zero like zero remembering um, of his role in that because you have Jessica Chastain, you have um, Joel Edgerton, um, James Gandolfini, um, Stephen Delane, Chris Pratt. You know, it's 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 such a huge cast um, that like a smaller role that was like given to him is just not not memorable. So this was like really cool to see him in and the fact that like he is like this perfect um, approximation of like who Jean-Claude Van Damme used to be like that that, it 100% tricked me. It tricked me even though I knew what year that this came out in and that there was like no way that Jean-Claude Van Damme's gonna be looking like he's in his like early 30s. Like this was not gonna happen, but it was good. It was good. He he did a good job. I thought that um, really, I thought that Dolph Lundgren did better than Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> Maybe a controversial opinion. I thought that like Dolph Lundgren was just playing like this really great um this this really great fascist role, right? I mean, like th- this is the character that like is conveying most of the fascism like most bluntly throughout the film, right? And I think that that was a a role for some reason that really worked for him and he really played it and he really shouted all of those <laughs> really cheesy lines really well. Um the fight was was fantastic. I love like how many times you can stab this guy and actually believe that like yeah, you you can like really shank this guy in the chest and he's going to keep going. And I believe it 100%. Like no questions asked, he 100% can survive that. And yeah, Jean-Claude Van Damme's whole apocalypse now thing going on with the I <laughs> it was good makeup I thought it was good makeup but I had no idea that it was him and so um that that role kind of um is the role is well played I don't know if it was well suited for John claude Van Damme I would have put him in something a little bit more um where you can tell that it's him right especially if you're going to market the movie with the idea being that John claude Van Damme first is in this and then Dolph Lundgren and then Scott Atkins. right that's the order that they appear on the um poster for it right so I was kind of I was expecting a lot more Jean-Claude Van Damme than what I got <laughs> so well
1: which is like kind of like one of the reals for me the great tricks of this movie because the last movie it was all him like very mute like I think you'd really like regeneration actually. And like, if you're like one of those people, like how many times can you stab Dolph Lundgren? Just wait until you see how many times they stab him in regeneration. Um, yes. It's so good. Um, yeah, it just, him just going this full kind of messianic, uh, there's always another John. Like weird kind of just like, I'm at peace Zen status is, it was a choice that really works for me. Cause it's like that kind of, that like just there's always another John. There's just always more. There's never peace. There's only war. Like one just makes me think of Warhammer Forty Thousand, the greatest satire of all. And it just it just really reinforces like by that point if you're thinking about it like all he's saying throughout that scene is him telling John, you're only killing yourself in the end, and the un the just the un like both the unknowableness of it all and like the sadomasochistic scenario as David Saverin would theorize it, like the in inevitability and like eternal nature of that. And then in the end, he, you give him this weird martyr sacrifice, which is this also kind of textual passing of the torch between the old movie star and the new movie star, much like John Wayne was paid to do for the beginning of Gunsmoke. It's just, yeah, it, there, like, it's interesting. Like, I, I'm really glad we're talking about this because, like, you, like, I'm, like, thinking about all these intertextual references and you're just, like, thinking about the violence and how it's not referencing everything. So that's, I, that's <laughs> really delightful. Also, trivia note, he uh, Scott Adkins was in Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning playing John. He then shows up in, in his next credited role in Zero Dark Thirty playing John. It's, it's <laughs> yeah it's just that's just that's just too great
0: (laughs) i think that tells me we need more like uh generic male (laughs) names to use for action heroes as i was thinking also like um because you have john uh, and his his supposed wife in this film is Sarah, and I'm like, okay, John Connor, Sarah Connor, we got like Terminator. I'm like, we need we need something other than John to call call these guys because they're always John. It is always John. But um, I'm glad that you, you brought up like that kind of um, passing the torch scene that was going on there between John Claude Van Damme and Scott Adkins because that that should have been the, the end of the film. Like I, I kind of like had, had had noted this in the Discord because I, I had wanted to talk about it specifically um that scene right where um where devereux allows john to kill him because that's what's happening it's like he like john doesn't actually like legitimately overpower devereux devereux uh, allows this to happen and he's like preaching all this uh very apocalypse now kind of thing going on here and um after john you know kills him um the three universal soldiers that are kind of like they're like for some reason i i don't know like they they weren't they weren't really present in the scene prior to that they're just kind of they just kind of show up in the background for the sake of like just being there um but they they like John turns to them like am I gonna have to like fight you guys and like kill you guys too I just killed your leader but they like all bow their heads um to John as like an acknowledgement of this torch being passed and that to me felt like the end like it because like the scene it's it's like a little bit slow motion like it's like waned off and like they slowly bow their heads and then the the it should have just like faded to black and then there's the credit like like that's that's how I I felt like it should have been they had like this extra scene at the end right because like they they feel the need to to try to open it up to like a further franchise um and I, I felt like I didn't need that I don't know I I didn't I didn't love that addition I don't feel like I needed um well it's like maybe maybe for the purposes of john's character it would be bad writing to just kind of leave it there (laughs) like if we were really gonna like go into like well we need to find out like why like why his wife isn't real and like why this is like a whole thing that's happening i I didn't need the explanation um that that final actual final scene kind of provides but i was like i don't know i didn't need agent gorman there to tell me what just what i just watched (laughs)
1: super like from like an expositional standpoint yeah it's, it's kind of redundant but i liked it because it's just it's it's kind of the point there's always another battle there's all like john just has shift his anger from the man he thought he needed to kill to the people that now made him and he has now overtaken the cloning facility with like so like that idea of just it's eternal war i think makes that last scene fit even though like the ending of the very king of the monsters ending of them just going nope you killed the leader so uh well king of the monsters are also chronicles of riddick <laughs> that very chronicles <laughs> of riddick ending of like well you killed the the the, the our leader so we're just going to follow you now i guess like that would i think that'd be perhaps a bit more ambiguous but the the ending with gorman and the revenge on gorman feels more fitting for like the final the coda to this the theme that they've been running with the entire time
0: yeah and i think that's kind of like it speaks to me as like a as like an audience member right i want there to be a conclusion like i i I want john to be able to stop right to be able to to say that like you know he killed defro and he's like found himself very tentatively in this murder and is like satisfied with that and then that's the end right but like the fact of the matter is is that yeah it is the theme of the film is that like he's there is no end and so of course like the scene that seems like it would be like the most likely conclusion to be um you know posed as like the cinematic ending and uh, you know that has to be subverted essentially and so like that final scene absolutely does that and, and it makes me upset because I'm like oh like oh we couldn't like oh that was a great ending but like that's there is no ending that's like mm-hmm. the point Um, k- kind of sad that they haven't made another one I mean I, I understand why they haven't made another one but I feel like this one shouldn't be the end i feel i feel like this is a franchise you know you'd think like six films that'd be enough but like honestly like fast and furious vibes with this right like
1: <laughs> so like that's kind of like the the problem is like there is no like continuity because like the the net the next two like they make Eunice Soldier one the next two movies have nothing to do with the first movie they recast the character of Luke Devereaux. It like it's all disconnected. like it's the X-Men franchise of action movies. And like there's technically one in development somewhere, but like it's kind of like when people threaten to remake Starship Troopers, but they're like, no, we're not gonna make it a satire. We're gonna make it like, have you seen the Starship Trooper sequels?
0: I did not even know that there were Starship Trooper sequels.
1: <laughs> there are two live action ones and two animated ones. Let me pull up the wiki page so I get the names right. But like, okay, Troopers Film Franchise. So like there there is a, a new Universal Soldier movie somewhere in development. But like it's just one of those things where like, I don't know how you could make a new one just given the era that we're in, but also like the, the, the Jason Bourne franchise exists. Jason Bourne is essentially a Universal Soldier without all the Frankenstein monster elements, and it's just um, it's just kind of more quote unquote realistic. It's not very realistic, but you know what I mean. Um, of the uh, on the Starship Troopers tip, though, um, they made a sequel to it, Heroes of the Federation. The first sequel in two thousand and four, it's not good because they. They're like, yes, we're gonna make that movie straight, and Aaron's like, oh, this isn't very good. And so then they made uh, another sequel four years later, Marauder, where they returned to the um, satire angle angle of it all, and it's 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 okay. It's direct to video. It's 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 it looks really good, actually, honestly, for what it was made. But the animated film. Um, they made two animated films: Invasion and Traitor of Mars. Invasion is once again a they made a decision to like do a straight action movie, and it just feels kind of generic in a weird way. Um, uh, Shinji Aramaki directed these movies though, but like Traitor of Mars, they re, they double back to like, no, we're going to make this a condensed version of like Starship Troopers one with the satiric elements, and it's so much more effective. And with like Universal Soldier, I. After this movie, I don't know how you could make another one of these either both like straight or even like this, because it's like Day of Reckoning already exists. The the perfect Universal Soldier movie has already been made.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad that you mentioned, like, the times with it as well, right, that, like, we couldn't make a film like this in this time, uh, and I, I absolutely agree with that, I think, I think that it is, like, important to point out that this is, this is 2012, this is the end of the torture porn cycle, right, in the US, this is, this is essentially, like, your your waning down peak, where, like, at this point, we've reached um what we would consider to be like the height of torture porn you can't shock audiences anymore if this content it doesn't work because we've seen too much of it from 2005 onward and it's like yeah it's like i don't know if we could make another one unless it was exactly like this right like i'm going back to funny games where it's like the original was 1997 the the remake um was 2011 2007 right um and it's like this idea that like if he would have tried to remake it in 2017, no, it it wouldn't work. It just wouldn't be um, watchable, right? Is, is, is what we would term it? Just not watchable. It's just not something that audiences are looking for anymore. And yeah, I don't know. I yes, yeah, it's, it's 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 like I guess the same thing with like the the Terminator remakes, right? <laughs> the more the more recent ones, right? You can't you can't redo it. It doesn't work. It, it it's so um, specific to its time period, both stylistically and content-wise, that you know maybe even like I think I think I think the the commentary on the fascism translates really well. I think that nowadays maybe the commentary on um, the hardness of male bodies and this infallible um, you know masculine protagonist of like an action film maybe that doesn't translate anymore. We've been so detached recently from. You know these kinds of action heroes. I mean, John Wick is very beat upable. He loses a lot, <laughs> and <laughs> that that isn't you know it's it's the opposite of what we were getting back in the '80s with what this film was commenting on. So,
1: yeah, like, um, oh, who was it? It was Unloved. Um, who it was? It's um Scott uh, Tafoya. I'm I'm saying that name wrong, I'm sorry. Uh he does a, a video essay series called The Unloved. It's published on Rogerebert.com. Um, he argues that Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning is really the uh, action movie for the gamer the generation of Gamergate because of the nihilism of it all. And like after this, like I'm like, yeah, you can't really do this again because it's just kind of like altright fuel. <laughs> like it, it feels like there's a certain kind of that like. Some not like I like ironic, but is it really ironic kind of nihilism to this movie? That like I don't think when Himes made this movie, he was like, Yes, I shall. This is a movie for the edgelords on the internet who go, We live in a society, but like because of like now we're watching it now in the year 2021, oh, it feels like we live in a society, <laughs> and it's just like, Oh, yeah. Um, I had a I had a question though. Um, how did you feel about the kind of Bride of Frankenstein aspects to the uh, lobotomy scene, I, the, where they they drill his skull open and he, then he loses himself? But like I, I was wondering if you you caught up on the uh, the kind of Bride of Frankenstein queerness of it all.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, there are very few films like this that I can read as being straight. I mean, I mean, that's just, that, 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 that's just a sheer fact. I, I think that um, there's a lot um, to be said about um, maybe like the circle, right? Like the circle of um, presentation of gender presentation of um, sexual orientation where it's like it once you become too masculine you, you've cycled back into you know this consumption of male bodies as items that are um, desirable right um you you've set for yourself this this goal um which I think is it's kind of always inherent in these in these action films you know like we're we're the, it, they're designed for male audiences so the, the male audience is meant to look at you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's oiled up body and wanted that <laughs> for, for themselves so I, I I think that there's always something inherent there um when it comes to specifically the um, the the lobotomy scene or whatever <laughs> it's not really like a lobotomy I don't know what they're doing <laughs> it, was, it looked fantastic though uh that was that was a really well done special effects work there I was impressed um and yeah I was getting a lot of yeah, those same like Bride of Frankenstein vibes, where it's like we need to, essentially, like,
1: <laughs> gosh, I, I it's... think we can so we... we can reproduce. It's like it reproduce. Like you you called it out when you're talking about um, Bride of Frankenstein for censorship class, like something specifically about like they didn't want them to say like reproduce or something
0: yeah it's 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 like this idea where he's like using john's body to create more right he's, he's he's using john's body to procreate like he wants to to make more clones that's that's the whole like gist essentially of like the film is that john is this one that we need to copy and that needs to be the one that becomes the model for the rest of the clones right and, and so he's it's you have essentially like this really um, messed up subtextual really messy like male sex scene going on here essentially right because you have you know reproduction like 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 you're engaging and you're you're penetrating this masculine body with the goal of reproduction um which you which is you know oof. <laughs> <laughs> a lot a lot going on there um <laughs> But yeah, it's like I, I think that that any time that you're going to to use um a a character's body as a as a vessel for reproduction, right that's that's gonna be a um a thing, right., um, yeah. I mean, John isn't allowed, right, he's not allowed to reproduce with women, we established that in the opening scenes, right, where he has this image of wife and child, but he's not allowed to keep that, right, he's not allowed to keep this image of heteronormativity, this this goal of wife and child, that's not allowed, he's only allowed to be around other men, uh, and interfere with other men's bodies, (laughs) so. Like,
1: I'm not going to say this movie treats women well because it doesn't, like, they get blown apart and brutally murdered in their places of work and are treated as, like, visual spectacle for both erotic and, like, creepy erotic pleasure because of the gore. But Like, the character of Sarah is this, she's the only woman in this movie who's allowed to really talk. And they're, like, at first it looks like they're going to be on that really rote, compulsory, heterosexual relationship of like, oh, we're on the run together and we're gonna find love. And in the end he discovers, oh, she wasn't really in love with me. She was in love with the guy who looked like me that I just murdered. And he just gives her the car and goes, you're free now, just go. And like, after that, you're just, he's just surrounded by men. And it's just, it, to me, it's just kind of really, the, the thing about like um, a, a, fascist films in Italy, like, specifically the Empire um, colonial feature films. They're all these homo normative, homosocial spaces where, like, the, it's all about the denial and rejection of women. Even though, like, once, I could, like, it, like, there's a whole bunch, like, go read my reading list if you really want to dig into this in a deep, thoughtful way from academics who st- this is their life, and I just read it but it to me like her character was this kind of smart subtext of like smart subversion of like the trope where like she isn't like she's not even really that big of a character honestly she just kind of stands there and stares like what the what did i get myself into but like that like lack of connection really between her as the nominal female lead because she's the one with the most screen time uh, is, I don't know, that's kind of interesting and feeds into the queerness of everything.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned the Italian fascist films as well, because um, I was thinking a a lot of um, uh, Pierre Paolo uh, Pasolini's Salo, a lot uh Salo or the 120 days of Sodom um which also is is very notably um hyper violent um and treats women very badly (laughs) as as is um just the genre of extreme cinema in general and I I would kind of consider this to be um I, I, I would consider universal soldier day of reckoning to be a piece that is um you know very much aligned with extreme cinema even though the uh, moniker is most commonly applied to to films of like the staunch horror genre we don't usually include um, action films for some reason as a part of it which I think is a mistake. Um, but yeah there's like scenes in Sallow, um, where men will abuse women in the presence of other men sexually right. Um, and it ends up like essentially like women as masturbation devices to further um, male sexuality, right? And I think that that's kind of what we're getting in *Universal Soldier*, but like to a lesser extent, right? So she's not here um, for the purposes of John's character, right? She's she's pretty she's you know masturbatory for the sake of the audience that like wants a beautiful female character to look at, um, but like she's just kind of here so that like John can like essentially. Um, like, morally jerk himself off and look like a good character, right? He like protected the woman and then continued to go on and further his um, like experiences with men, right? Um, so it's kind of yeah it's <laughs> it's it's very interesting it's very interesting and I I, I don't want to condemn like Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning for this specifically and I don't want to condemn um like the extreme cinema genre for it either because this is very common <laughs> like this is this is my cat's knocking stuff over <laughs> hold on
1: your cat says fuck the patriarchy.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, because like that's the thing is that this is a standard device, right? You don't have I mean, like, I mean, if we wanted to do um, I don't know, like a James Bond film, for instance, right? We have um Casino Royale, um, Eva Green's character, right, is for the same purposes, right? Um, I think colloquially we call this fridging, where you just fridge the female character for the sake of furthering man pain. Um, and it, it, it's it's always masturbatory. So it's um yeah (laughs) it's like this is this is a a, uh acted out symptom of a larger problem so when
1: when they did that in Deadpool 2 I was it took me out of the movie like legitimately I was like no you the first film did such a good job building that relationship (laughs) which like I'm talking about that as a Deadpool movie but like then they they fridge her and you're just like I'm just like this is a bunch of bullshit and like in this one at least she doesn't get to die she she gets to drive away off screen never to be seen of again like she doesn't like i don't even think we see her drive away
0: which i mean like that's the best possible fate right i mean i mean i mean considering like the context of the film to have a character just disappear and not you know violently die on the screen one way or another that is the best possible outcome um (laughs) because like i mean she escaped right she got out Um, And that's, you know, never going to be an option for, you know, any of the other characters that you see on screen, you know, everyone that is shown and introduced, uh, comes back later and dies or is killed. (laughs) So I guess I guess on one hand, um, they've like afforded her a a mercy that isn't afforded to any other character in the in in the movie. But (laughs) at the same time, yeah, it's 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 done this this thing. But I mean, I can't say that she was Um, a a well-written character or a fully formed character as opposed to um, Vanessa, right? Vanessa from Deadpool. Um, I think that that Deadpool's instance of fridging is probably more um, like more of a personally heinous act than the fridging in Universal Soldier just because um, we know Vanessa as a character and we know Vanessa very well and um we like her like this is something like the audience like very much likes vanessa she's never viewed as like this um adversarial object um which is which is also like super common in films of of this caliber and this nature um action films in particular right you have the wife that isn't supportive of of the husband um and his masculine actions or is is viewed as some type of um like yeah just like adversary that like they have to overcome the the impo- like the impositional nature of their wife and uh in Deadpool we don't get that <laughs> the Skylar problem exactly exactly just like Skylar from Breaking Bad um and yeah like we don't get that in Deadpool like she's never that force um and so like when they her, it is like in particular it it seems like particularly heinous as opposed to universal soldier where uh we don't know her we don't care about her the story's not about her she's not involved in this and she can just go and it's it's less of an issue you know
1: the fridging isn't even real it turns out it's we all just think it's real except for all the other women that are murdered in this movie the wife though the wife never even existed so. exactly
0: <laughs> it's like it's better to have um never existed in this film than it is to, than it is to exist as a woman but that, that that tends to be the the case regardless so it's it's yeah it's it's interesting
1: yeah like this movie shouldn't have been as good or interesting as it as it turned out to be like there's you can just poke at it and I that's that's what I like about most, like movies like this. It's like, oh, you find this? like, oh, I I can just poke at this with a lot of different things, and also like, man, it's 114 minutes. It it's like it's hard to watch during the strobe lights, but like otherwise, it's fun to watch. You feel terrible, but it's fun.
0: Yeah, and it's it's a beefy runtime. Um, I was I was expecting it to be about 20 minutes less than what it was. I was I was thinking more around like an hour and ten, hour fifteen, hour twenty minute runtime um and it it fills that time and it doesn't feel like it's it's very long um i think that that's um like i i i think that speaks to just kind of like the the expertise of the editing and the cinematography and the pacing Just in general, because like you absolutely like like, if you've ever sat through a bad action film that like runs forever, like, you know, like, you know when the film is like feeling bad and lagging and like you feel every minute of that runtime when it's not done well. And I think that this is done very well. Um, I had no idea that it was 114 minutes until I had like looked at the timestamp thing at the bottom of my uh, screen that I was watching it on. And then even then I was like, oh, I've already watched like 45 minutes of this. <laughs> I never would have guessed. <laughs> but it is, it's, it's fun, it's fast, it's, it's violent. Um, at, one, at, at no point was I like particularly like, this movie is so offensive, I have to put it down and stop. Um, I was never... You know, so deeply disturbed by the content that I had to to rethink my life on an existential level, which which I think is 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 good is good. I don't want to have to do that. I have had to do that with some films, and this is not one of them. So I think that it is. Um, I'd say I'd say very watchable. I think that it's definitely yeah. It's it's definitely a a product of its time. I think that. Um, to to pick a film from like 2011 2012 that i was like this is really violent i would like to watch this again it would probably be universal soldier day reckoning and not say the girl with the dragon tattoo <laughs> like, like in terms of like like very cinematic looking um violent films right um because this is actually enjoyable <laughs> I mean I enjoy for for different reasons I enjoy for different reasons right because this has like basically no plot uh, no intensive plot and then uh Girl with Drying Tattoo is very intensive storytelling um but it feels more torturous um at times than this does so yeah I I enjoyed it I think I think it's good
1: thank you for coming on with me for this episode
0: yeah thanks for having me
1: That's it for our show this week. Thank you for listening and for your support. Please subscribe to the show on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Cineposium and on Twitter at Cposium to keep up with our updates and to keep in communication with us. Until next week, take care, everyone.